Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. And away we go. It's another edition of the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Pete Sweeney, the editor-in-chief of ArrowheadPride.com, joined by my esteemed deputy editor, John Dixon. John, we're almost at the game week. Chiefs and Texans opening night. Are you ready? I am ready. I'm also ready for my esteemed deputy editor nameplate on my cubicle here at Arrowhead Pride. You know what? That is something that is well-deserved for all that you do for... Uh, this website. It is Tuesday, September 1st. I I can't believe we're here. It's amazing that training camp is over and we have a a great show for you ahead. Just a couple housekeeping notes before. No editor show on Thursday. I'll be appearing as a co-host on Cody and Gold filling in for Alex Gold on Thursday. I'm sure we'll talk about Chiefs. So if you're really want Pete Sweeney Chiefs content, if there's anyone out there who wants that, you'll be able to find it between 10 and 2 in Kansas City on 610 Sports Radio. On today's editor's show, we'll cover the latest news on the Chiefs. Our staff writer, Ron Kopp, will join us mid-show to discuss some of the most versatile defensive Chiefs. And John, we have our first annual Training Camp Awards. Oh, very nice. Very nice. Very nice. Very exciting. First training camp I haven't been to since covering the team, so I imagine this is going to go well since I had no eyeballs on it, but we're going to do it anyway. I mean, you got to start the awards somewhere. I feel even with that being the case, this will be more valid than the Academy Awards because let's be honest, the Academy has all that bias, but this isn't a movie podcast. Let's get down to business. A major breaking story last night. Andy Reid and Brett Veach reportedly finalizing new six-year contracts with the Chiefs. That will keep them in Kansas City through 2025. Hard to really expect six-year contracts, but this is as expected as they come, right? Sure. I was a little confused about uh, how long Andy Reid was under contract and Brett Veach was under contract, but presumably both of them were with the team through 2021, maybe 2022. So these actually only end up being about three years more than we would have had anyway. The head coaching and executive contracts are a little bit more buttoned up because they don't have any salary cap implications. So you never really truly know, but that is what I've heard. They're right around that area. And with these executives and head coaches, this is stuff I've heard inside the league. You don't want to let it get to that last year. So you're right in thinking it was probably around 2021, 2022. Yeah. uh, Reed signed a contract extension in 2017, which would have been going into his last year. We knew he had a five-year contract when he came to the team Mm -hmm. in 2017. 13. And if you do the math on that, then uh, if it was an extension, it would have been through 2022. If it was a new five-year deal, it would have been to 2021. You know, we could we could per- go through all the permutations of that. Right. Bottom line is we know how long they're here now, which they didn't really tell us the last time. <laughs> so... We get a little more information than usual. Yeah, it, it's funny because Clark Hunt who had a media availability on Saturday was asked about 
the idea of signing Brett Veach long-term. Not even asked about Andy Reid. Everyone thinks Andy Reid's going to retire, so they only asked about Brett Veach. Here's the quote from Clark Hunt. Well, we're very lucky to have Brett as part of our organization. You're exactly right. He's done an amazing job over the last three years of taking a really good roster and turning it into a championship roster. And I think it's a roster now that's going to have a chance for for multiple years to be a contender for the Super Bowl. Uh, He's done an outstanding job. He works extremely well with Coach Reed. He also has a great rapport with our players. Uh, So he's somebody that, that we want here for the long term. Uh, we tend to not talk about contract extensions until, until they're done, but uh, just suffice it to say that, that uh, we're fortunate to have Brett here and hope he's here a very long time. The need to know is right now, Andy Reid is 62 years old. Brett Veach is 42. Reid is 77 and 35 in the regular season in his seven years in Kansas City, which is a ridiculous ridiculous record. I tried to tell everybody that Andy Reid was not going anywhere. He's six years younger, believe it or not, than Bill Belichick. He has a quarterback who is about to turn 25. We'll talk about that in just a second. There's no reason to leave Kansas City. There are more championships to be won. Absolutely. Uh, I think you have to wonder about having these contracts uh, expire together, but maybe that's a good thing. Uh, you know, these guys right. have been together for uh, for a long time. Veach was with Reed in Philadelphia, came here as a player personnel guy, uh, came up through the ranks and was in a position to become the general manager when John Dorsey was ejected from the offices. And um, so these I don't know guys, why, but I just thought of him just flying out in a sweatshirt. Well, <laughs> oh, and he lands in Cleveland and he woke up and he's like, I want to get ejected from Cleveland. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> well, that was exactly the image I was intended to portray, actually. But, uh, you know, they've been together for a long time and, and I think it makes sense to keep them as a package. So I think that's the way we're going to see him uh, until Reed decides to retire. He's 20 years older than Veach is. And so, you know, at some point, Andy's going to want to step away. But clearly, he doesn't intend to do, for, do so for a while yet. Well, that was the point of the Chiefs promoting Brett Veach to general manager. I think that Andy Reid and John Dorsey, they were their own person, whereas Veach, he came into the league under Andy Reid. We've gone over that story before plenty of times. And they're just in a little bit more lockstep, whereas Veach is almost an extension of Reid's eyeballs, I feel, right. it seems. So even though that Reid isn't in the weeds of player personnel, he almost, in a sense, is. He has one of he kept one of his tree members in Kansas City. And where John Dorsey may have had other feelings and about players that maybe Reed didn't necessarily want on his team. It just seems like there is little argument to be had between Reed and Veach. They seem to think the same way in a sense, I think. Right. And we have to remember too, that the chiefs do something unusual in Kansas city in that both Reed and Veach report directly to Clark hunt, which is not the usual thing. Usually the general manager reports to the owner and hires the head coach with input from the owner. But in Kansas city, uh, when Clark Hunt hired Andy Reid, he decided that he was going to have each of those individuals, the head coach and the GM, report directly to him. So, in Clark Hunt's eyes, uh, the most important thing is that those two guys can work together. And that's an indicator of why this is happening this way. Uh, Clark Hunt made a point of saying on Saturday that, uh, that Veach and Reid work well together. 
And uh, so that's part of this equation, that these are guys that, in Clark Hunt's view, can do their jobs together. So there you have it. Andy Reid, Brett Veach, six more years. We'll see how many championships that they can put together. Veach did a fantastic job keeping the team together this year. They will be trying to run it back in 2020 and beyond. Next piece of news, John, Leonard Fournette has been waived. And immediately in Kansas City, we're asking the question. I, I said, do we need to ask it? And then I wake up and Tom Childs, bless his heart, hanging out in the UK, does our arrow headlines, and there it is on our page. Kansas City would be a good fit for Leonard Fournette. I just do not see this. I don't think they should even submit a claim. I, I don't think it'll even get to the Chiefs because this is a player who had a lot of production last year. Just because Jacksonville doesn't want him doesn't mean he still can't play. I don't even think it's going to get up to the Chiefs. Even if it did, this is not a player that you need to submit a claim on. You just submitted or you just made your first round pick for a guy that fits your system perfectly. And not to say that Fournette wouldn't, but he's younger. He's got younger legs. You've been working with him all training camp. He's got a good rapport with the number two in Darrell Williams. There's a distraction factor that comes along with Leonard Fournette. I just don't think that this is even a possibility. Well, I agree with you, but I think there's a counterpoint to the argument. And that is the A, that the Chiefs did something similar last season, picking up a running back right before the uh, right at the beginning of the season. It wasn't yeah, but right John, they were, they, that was Damian Williams that you had. Right. That no, was I not understand. a hand-picked. I think that was more insurance where sure. you feel really good. And like your insurance is already built in. Your boy, Darwin Thompson, seems like a man on a mission. You have DeAndre Washington, who seems like a scheme fit, already has a relationship with Patrick Mahomes. I just think the Chiefs were in a different place last year. Like last year, the Chiefs were taking pasta and, and throwing it against the wall to see if it would stick, I think, at the running back position. They were fortunate that Damian Williams has played the way he has in the playoffs. I think that, in a sense, was lucky based upon how healthy he's been able to stay during the regular season. I just I find that they're in a different position this year than last year. Well, I agree with that, but it's still out there that the Chiefs did make a running back when they had a loaded running back room. We were saying this a year ago going into the final cutdown. We were surprised that the Chiefs would – uh, bring in LaShawn McCoy at that point because we had plenty of running backs. Right. So I don't think you can completely discount it. I agree with your point. I do. I really do. Um, the other thing is that Fortnite would not be terribly expensive. And, you know, again, as I keep saying, I'm all about Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I think he's going to be a fantastic player for the Chiefs. There's no doubt in my mind about that, but we're still talking about a rookie. And if he doesn't work out the way the Chiefs think he does, then they got to worry about whether these other guys behind him can, can carry the full road, the, the full load. I like Daryl Williams in this role. I was surprised. I think I said a couple of weeks ago that I had looked at some tape from last year and saw him early in the season when uh, Damian Williams was out. It's like he looked pretty good. And so I feel he'll be a fine backup. But you can see the Chiefs, wanting to have as many running backs as they can get and making a move like this because they can get him cheap. I agree with you, though. I don't think he's going to – if they put in a waiver claim, somebody's going to get to him before the Chiefs does do. Uh, I don't think this is going to happen. Yeah, I 
I, I just don't think it's the same place. So I get your point where you have to consider it because they did do this at the end of last year. But I mean, I think they're in a position right now to get rid of, rid of a running back, not necessarily bring another one on board. You know, I, I, I think there's, there's some kind of cornerback with upside. Maybe you can move DeAndre Washington or Darwin Thompson for. I mean, I just... I think there's just other moves to be made at that position, but who knows? We will see where he lands. I, I think by the time you're listening to this podcast, we might have some idea. So we'll see. It, it could be in the division. It could be in the AFC. It'll have implications, especially to with fantasy football. I'm someone who plays fantasy football with my friends. I know everyone's watching this because it's not only going to make a difference for Fournette, but whoever he lands, that running back that you now have becomes who knows if he's a fantasy guy anymore. So a lot of ripple effects in the world of the National Football League. Another piece of news, the Chiefs get their Super Bowl rings on Tuesday. I, I don't know if we should have a take here. I think it's interesting. I think it's fun. I think it's something that fans have looked forward to. How big is it going to be? I think very, very big. I think it's going to be like two fingers length big. <laughs> it won't be you won't be able to comfortably sit at a wedding with this thing on your hand. I mean, it's going to be impossible to eat. That's how big I think it's going to be. Yeah, there'll be a commercial for some beer where it's uh, your cousin from Kansas City, right? Right. Wearing the yes. Super Bowl ring. Yeah. <laughs> one of the rep- one of the representatives from the uh, Hunt Sports Group tweeted over the weekend. Tuesday has a nice ring to it. So we are just assuming that sometime this evening is when the Chiefs will receive their Super Bowl rings, which is great. I always love evening things happening at Arrowhead Pride where we have no idea when the news or photos or videos are coming through. So it should be a nice nice day for us, John. It's always about us, isn't it? Well, it's no, been no doubt about it. It's been interesting to me after the Super Bowl how quickly fans were demanding to know when the rings were going to be here, what they were going to look like. Uh, which players were going to get them, which players weren't going to get them. Uh, will players get honorary rings? I mean, all the questions were were everywhere. Everywhere I went, people were asking about it. And, um, and it's weird because normally this has all been done long before this point, and I assume that it has to do with the pandemic, that like any other business, um, Jostens, which is the company that normally does Super Bowl rings, they don't necessarily do the ones that the Chiefs will have, but they are typically the company that does rings. Maybe they've had trouble getting this stuff done this year. And I assume that's got something to do with the delay. Or maybe the Chiefs, like they do on so many other things, are, at, are marching to their own drummer and want to hand them out right before the season begins. So I think probably the I think probably the former from from the things that I have heard. It's it's something too where you typically have a big celebration where families are invited and, and so on sure. and so forth, like almost yeah. like Christmas parties. Is that a safe thing to be doing? Do you have to keep it really low key? Is it just something because you now are building these NFL bubbles where only the team can go? Probably that, you know? And and so very, very unique circumstances. I talked about this on 610 with Bob Fesco yesterday. It is sad that the Chiefs and the fans have waited 50 years for this Super Bowl, and you're not getting the proper six months of celebration and treatment and the Tom Brady, you know, that Tom Brady video where he has six rings on and he's dancing at the ring party. Like this would be a really big deal that would have already happened with Travis Kelsey doing something with the rings on social media. And I hope we still get that to some extent, but it's added motivation for the team. And Kelsey actually talked about it. I don't have the clip pulled up, but he talked about it in May where 
there's motivation to run it back. So if February of 2021 comes along and things are a little bit more normal, you can have a, a proper celebration. I, we are seeing the coronavirus apparently has no timeline. So I hope that I hope that's the case. <laughs> you might have to do it three years in a row with how things are going, it seems like. But um, I, I like that there's extra motivation there built in for the team. And, and we'll see if, if it leads to a lack of complacency, which is, I think, what you want, no matter how you get it, right? Right, right. Well, it'll be fun, regardless, regardless how it happens. I mean, you know, we could see a virtual presentation. We don't really know what we're going to see tonight, if in fact tonight is when it happens, but it sure seems to be trending that way. Speaking of celebrations, Patrick Mahomes is celebrating his birthday, and you can help him celebrate. He is having a virtual birthday party Wednesday, September 17th at 7.30 p.m., uh, star-studded event online that you could watch with Paul Rudd, Quincy Jones, some of Mahomes' teammates, I'm sure Kelsey and, and Garrick Jeter, they come to mind, that'll be in the mix here. And what they're trying to do is raise money. They're trying to get to 1500 donations. It's, it's 15 in the homies, and they're asking for a minimum donation of $15, and it'll benefit organizations like Big Brothers and Sisters of Kansas City, Child Protection Center, Children's Advocate, Ad, Advocacy Center, Communities and Schools South Plains, East Texas Food Bank. So there's Kansas City and Tyler, Texas ties to it, 15 organizations. And so what a great way to celebrate your birthday. We know that Mahomes doesn't necessarily need any more monetary gifts, but he's asking for you to please donate to some Absolutely. of these great organizations. And it's for I mean, a good cause. And and apparently if you donate certain amounts, you can see your name pop up during this birthday, virtual birthday party. So a really cool event put on by 15 and the Mahomes. That is always the question, isn't it? Isn't it? Uh, what do you get a guy that's got half a billion dollars? Now, he doesn't have that money yet, but it does limit the number of gifts that you can get somebody. But I appreciate that what he's, what he's doing here, that he's using this as a way to raise money for the foundation. And I think that's terrific. So there you go. You can find more information at arrowheadpride.com, also 15inlomies.org. Last piece of news I want to get to. This was sort of random. I felt, but it came through anyway from James Palmer of NFL Network, and I'll read it. I'm told one name that continues to pop up with people inside Kansas City's building is Treshawn Wharton. The undrafted free agent from Missouri Science and Tech seems almost a lock to make the team's 53-man roster a great local story. James Palmer's got some good connections on, on the inside of the organization, so I trust this year. I think we will be seeing Wharton's name on the 53-man roster when it comes through sometime during Saturday. Uh, there is an obvious loser here, right? I mean, I, I do you know who I'm talking about, John? I, 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 would, I didn't write it on our sheet because I wanted to see if you know who I'm talking about. Well, uh, obviously, well, it depends on what position he's playing, actually, right. because he played in college as a defensive end. And the Chiefs list, is, list him as a defensive tackle. What comes to my mind is Breland Speaks. Exactly. That's exactly who I was thinking of. The one person on this defensive line, no matter what the positions are, who didn't need some dark horse candidate taking <laughs> one of the 53 positions was Breland Speaks. You got yeah. them talking up Taco Charlton. You have them raving about Tano Passanio. I understand Mike Pinnell is going to be out for the first two games, but that's not going to necessarily alter the roster in, in a completely different way. Tim Warren has gotten some buzz. Breland Speaks, I feel like we haven't spoke about really at all. And so I, I look at this Wharton situation 
where I, I do see on the depth chart I have in front of me, he is listed as a tackle, but that's just taken up another spot. And for these French guys that really needed to prove themselves, not a good situation, I, I think, there. And good for Wharton. I mean, he came to camp almost, it seems like, as a tryout guy. I understand he was on the quote-unquote 80-man roster, but this is one of these fringe players. Local story gets to be a Kansas City Chief. That's really cool. Reminds me of Xavier Williams a little bit. Yeah, he had some great numbers down at Rala, however. Um, you know, like 15 sacks over two seasons. I mean, it, you know, he did some pretty amazing things. I think it was 105 tackles over those two seasons, 25 of those for loss. I mean, that's a pretty impressive number. And that's the kind of thing that gets you noticed um, if you're trying to get on an NFL roster. We know Spags likes to rotate that defensive line, so the more mm-hmm. bodies, I think, the better. And especially this season, again, and it is a recurring theme, but you never know what's going to happen with the depth along the defensive line, so the more contributors, the better. And good for Wharton. And it's a name to watch again as the deadline comes to us on Saturday. All right, that's all your pieces of news. When we come back, we will welcome on staff writer Ron Kopp to talk about some of the Chiefs' most versatile players. That's next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com. Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show, Pete Sweeney, John Dixon. And now we are really pleased to be joined by one of our staff writers, Ron Kopp. Ron, you did a great job with the Chiefs' defensive versatility article yesterday. We appreciate your work on that. How are you doing today? I'm good. We're single-digit days away from the start of the season. And, I, hey, I'm feeling it. I'm, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to watch some Chiefs football. <laughs> so I'm getting excited. I think a lot of Chiefs fans feel that way. You're starting to feel the energy, even though there isn't as much, I guess, fanfare, as you would say, in previous years because of everything going on. But you could still start to feel that energy, albeit virtually. It's a new virtual world. So that's what we're dealing with right now. First thing I want to do on this segment is play Steve Spagnuolo's words from yesterday, talking about safety versatility, which kind of I think spurred my idea to have this this segment here because of just how versatile each member of the Chiefs defense is. Here's Steve Spagnolo. Yeah, you know, it's funny when you ask that question, um, my mind goes way back to earlier when I was in the league. And I think they said that more that the safety pit position wasn't valued. But I can tell you this, we really valued Brian Dawkins. <laughs> he was, uh, so, you know, you're kind of talking about uh, a spot that I think against offensive football now does become really important because if you don't have a little bit of skill at that position, offensive coaches are way too smart. They, uh, they find the mismatches and put you in tough situations. We're fortunate that we have some guys that maybe can play wideouts as safety, still support the run. Uh, when you have that, it makes you better. Uh, but has there been a change in that position? I'd probably say, yeah, based on, um, you know, w- way back when, you'd put three wideouts in, which was not as prevalent as it is now. Typically, you'd throw another corner in the game. With the speed of the way offenses are now, and by that I mean the tempo of going in and out, you don't get a chance to do that. So if you don't have safeties that have a little versatility, you're really restricted in what you can call. 
So having a little flexibility with a guy that can play a slot is really, really important. So again, Ron did a great job for us with this idea on arrowheadpride.com if you want to read about defensive versatility and your chiefs. But we, we had him do today was come up with three versatile players along each level of the defense for the Kansas City Chiefs. And we're going to start with the defensive line. So Ron, you could take it away. All right. So when you're talking versatility on the defensive line, I think the first name that comes up for everybody is Tano Passigno, and I think rightfully so. Uh, you know, he's he's obviously a defensive end. He has you know he has the body form, the the, the length, and everything. But Spags used, likes to put him inside on the third down and the pass downs. And you know, I thought I honestly remembering it. You know, I know Tano goes inside a lot. I thought. Uh, Spags was using Clark and Okafor in that sense as well. But doing some research today, Tano logged 153 interior snaps in 2019, while Okafor and Clark were single digits. Um, so it really is just passing, you know, that Spags likes to do that with, push him inside to the one tech or the three tech, like I said, in passing situations. And right now it looks like Passigno is the, the starter at defensive end opposite Frank Clark. But in those situations where you want to get Passigno in instead of a Derek Naughty or a Colin Saunders to kind of maximize the pass rushing ability, you can put Alex Okafor back at defensive end. You know, I know he's been hurt and maybe, you know, he will play more than we think uh, over Passigno, but you can push Okafor at defensive end and then put uh, Tano inside and get that, uh, that NASCAR package going, as we know Spax likes to call it. Um, so, yeah, Passigno is the, the face of versatility on the defensive line. But I also think – uh, we could see something out of Breland Speaks. Uh, you know, I know we kind of talked about him moving inside when he had that extra weight, and it looks like he's kind of shed it, and he looks pretty good this offseason. But when you look at him in college, he was really a force inside just because of how explosive he was, how aggressive he was. And if he can still have that explosion with this, this lighter weight he's at now, he can be an, a, a weapon inside. And so this whole defensive line has a lot of versatility to it. Yeah, a first point on, on Tano Pastio, I just think that, that this is a player who's really rebounded his entire career now that he can do so much for the defensive line, almost an embarrassment of riches when it comes to the amount that you're able to do with Tano and keep him on the field when you have these offenses that are coming in with different tempos where you don't have to necessarily sub in guys every play. When it comes to Breland Speaks, for me, I... <sighs> I was just talking about this, and Ron, you weren't with us on the segment before, but I don't know if Breland Speaks makes his football team. I'm hoping that maybe he has a chance, like his uh, brother in, in Tano, uh, the other second-round pick, to turn his career around, but I, I don't know if he's even going to make this team on Saturday. John, how do you feel about the defensive line versatility? Well, I think Ron's making really good points here. I, I, I didn't know that... Uh, that uh, Clark and Okafor weren't moving inside as much. So that's really good work there, Ron, to, to dig out that piece of information. And, um, uh, and I agree with Pete, too, that there's a lot of question marks about Speaks this year. Uh, and if we'd been able to watch training camp the way we normally would, <laughs> we'd have a better idea of where he sits right now. But he is kind of the unknown quantity. Um, so I've also been wondering about uh, where Taco Charlton fits into this as well. Uh, you know, he's a guy that you could bring in off the bench right. and move him inside alongside a guy like Frank Clark, who has known him for a long time. Those guys are going to communicate well. They could be a very effective uh, pair of rushers alongside each other in the defensive line. 
But again, we haven't seen the way he's been used in camp and how he's meshed in with the rest of the team. So um, we don't really know how that's going to play out. I was surprised to see that yesterday Spags called Charlton a three-down guy. Even as, as, as talented as he is, former first-round pick, I just didn't see that for Charlton, especially because I just don't think there's enough spots. But good on the Chiefs, I guess, if they were able to get another first-round pick, put him in a good situation with his college buddy, Frank Clark, and now he's finally performing at a level where they may feel comfortable with him as a backup, for example. Uh, Ron, let's move to the second level of defense, and who is your versatile player there? So I, I go with Damian Wilson at the linebacker position. I think it's pretty ob- obvious why. Uh, last year he starts out uh, really just as a starter in the base as the same linebacker, the linebacker that's closer to the line of scrimmage over the tight end on the strong side of the ball. Uh, and as the season went on, you know, that, that will linebacker, that coverage linebacker uh, just wasn't really filling out for the defense or what they weren't really finding a guy. So they decided, hey, let's just move Wilson to the will. Um, he still has that good, the, the good run defense, but – you know, uh, he, he wasn't the greatest coverage defender last year, but he did enough, and that's and that's uh, pretty impressive for someone who really wasn't ever asked to do something like that in his career. Uh, he always really been a same linebacker. Uh, but the thing with Wilson is he is a really good run defender. He led the team in run stops last year. He had you know he had one more than Clark and eleven more than Hitchens, which is pretty is a pretty substantial number. And he, you know he he did see the most targets and coverage out of the linebackers, and he did allow the highest passer rating. Uh, but like I said, you know, that's a, for him to step in and, and be able to even fill in that position and, you know, be on a Super Bowl champion winning defense, playing a position, he hadn't really done a lot. That's that's what Spags is talking about with versatility. He needs it out of these guys. And I, I think he, they're following the same path as Willie Gay. Uh, it seems like they're doing the exact same thing with him, uh, where they're going to, you know, have him starting out at that same linebacker position and uh, being the will linebacker in the Buffalo package, as Spags likes to call it. So, uh, you know, I, I think we're going to see more of Willie Gay as the season goes on. Um, but right now with the starting defense and how uh, Spags has been doing it, especially in the last year, uh, Wilson is that that versatile guy that's going to be uh, in a few different positions all over the defense. Yeah, the Chiefs just seem a little bit of a step ahead of everybody else, where even with Willie Gay, who's a new player, they're teaching several positions. And you're right, he is along that same path of trying to get into the starting lineup. When it comes to Wilson, I just remember training camp last year, you know, when we were allowed to go, and he just stuck out to me. I, I just think he he is a guy that maybe doesn't get enough credit. He's super strong talking to him in the locker room. He's just willing to do anything to be on the field. And I think you see that willingness and that willingness has to be there for versatility. And, and I think that's a positive thing about these chiefs. Yeah. And also with Wilson, you know, he, he, he did play a lot of off ball, but on the ball, he was, no, there was 150 snaps on the line of scrimmage. So, you know, yeah. he, he can be, you know, right there taking on offensive tackles, you know, uh, he, he's a strong guy. Like you said, you know, he's not just, a, he, he's not really just an off ball, uh, you know, uh, he, he can, he can play his own inside, you know, with offensive line. He's almost like a, a Tyron Matthew on the second level, in a sense, just with all the different positions that you can put yeah. him on. You just mentioned that he's on the line of scrimmage, off the line of scrimmage, can do in coverage, has, has all those run steps, as you said. I think that's a real underrated player uh, for the Chiefs. John, you have any comments before we move to the third level? Well, this is all part of what we see with Steve Spagnuolo. He, the, the, to him, the defense is a living, breathing thing, that it's very dependent on... Uh, the situation the defense faces 
And, uh, and then what happens both pre-snap and post-snap, uh, he expects these players to move into places where they can be most effective in those situations. And so communication is a very valuable part of it as well. And he talked about that at length yesterday. So, uh, you know, it's not surprising really that they uh, want all these linebackers to be able to play in all these positions, but they have to start someplace. You know, there's, there's someplace right. where their normal position is. And we spend a lot of time talking about who's going to be the Sam, who's going to be the Mike, and who's going to be the Will. But in, in the way it plays out, they all play all over the place, and that's the way Spagnuolo likes it. Ron, let's move on to that third level. Who you got? And this is where I think it was really interesting with what Spag said, uh, you know, what he was talking about the safety and stuff, because the one position that isn't versatile in Spag's defense is the cornerback position. You know, that's just left alone, that outside cornerback. You know, you got your guys, you got your various work, Rashad Breeland. They're not moving all over the place on the defense. They're right. sticking to where they're at. It's the safety position that he really likes to, you know, play games with, move all over the field. And, you know, there's a few guys that could fit the bill. But when you're talking about versatility, Tyron Matthews is the face of that. You know, he was all over the field last year, uh, almost 400 snaps in the box, 600 snaps to the slot corner, 200 snaps to the free safety. And he also had about 100 snaps lined up on the line of scrimmage. And, you know, he, he led the, he led the uh, non-defensive linemen and linebackers with multiple sacks and pressures. And he just had just as many run stops as Anthony Hitchens and more than Chris Jones. You know, he's just – he's all over the place. He's able to do it at every level of the def- defense. And the thing is, he's not just, you know, good at all these places. He's pretty much an elite player at uh, most of the positions he lines up at. You know, obviously – when he's lined up in the D-line, you know, maybe you don't consider a safety an elite player. But in the slot, you know, he, he gave up the third lowest passer rating out of all slot defenders, you know, with enough snaps last year. I mean, as a free safety, he's fast enough and instinctual enough to get over the top and beat you to the ball. The You know, the play that comes to mind is the Cortland Sutton where it comes over the top and rips the ball out. I mean, right. you know, he, he's just so – he's so great at so many aspects of the defense. And, he, you know, he's the team's leading tackler and the interceptor. I mean, he's, he's, he's the leader of the defense, and he's exactly what Spagnuolo talks about when he's talking about versatility at the safety position. Yeah, absolutely. I do have a quick point, and this <laughs> – I say it with caution, but when you were talking about how the cornerbacks on the outside just stay there, that literally is the only similarity of the Bob Sutton defense that left us <laughs> was these guys were stuck on their islands. And it's something that Spags does as well. Everything else is, it is different from the scheme to being a little bit more exotic, you know, to moving guys in different positions. Yeah. That's the one thing left over. And we have our, I think our starting cornerbacks for this year, Ron, will be uh, Charvarius Ward, and it does seem like Legarius Sneed. While we have you on the line, how do you feel about that combination? Well, first of all, as a Chiefs fan, you got to feel good that the fourth-round cornerback that you picked this year is impressing enough to play uh, over, you know, someone – you know, I know Rashad Fenn didn't get a lot of outside snaps last year, but someone who has been on the team, and, you know, they could have could have, you know, maybe had a, a lot more of a, a, a go at, like a Logan Ryan or someone that could play outside corner. The fact that they feel good enough for Legarius Need to be out there, uh, you know, for the first four games. I mean, that, that's, that, I think you got to be confident. And, um, you know, I, I think Spags, you know, maybe we don't just see Snead out there. Maybe they rotate a little more. I think Spags is smart about that. He's not just going to probably leave Snead on an island. But if he does, 
we got to feel good about it because that means Spags trusts him and, you know, Spags knows what he's doing. So we, we got to feel good about it. Yeah. And I think you have to point out too, that Spags does not like to put rookies on the field. He says it every year in one form or another, he would prefer to guy for guys to get some experience before he puts him in a starting role. So to your point, Ron, uh, if we see him on the field, that really says something about what they think about him. Well, yeah, and Antonio Hamilton, too, you know, he was talking to the media uh, yesterday, and he revealed that he's playing all over the place as well, and you kind of saw it in that live stream practice, uh, you know, on Saturday. He, he was playing outside, but he was also playing inside and in a more of a safety position as well. And, you know, he, he, was, he was thought of as just really a special team guy. You know, Dave Topes praised him for being the gunner. Um, but maybe he is going to be, uh, you know, a key piece, you know, that uh, third or fourth safety slash corner, you know, the, the Kendall Fuller position. Maybe he does fit into the defense a little more than we previously thought. I think, and this is a weird comparison, but I almost see Hamilton and this Mike Remmers role for the Chiefs, whereas <laughs> first defensive back down, and that's the guy you see. I remember when Fuller was here, Spags made a point of it at training camp to really talk about Rashad Fenton as the backup uh, slot guy, right? So he wants to always have a backup there, and I think that seems to be where Hamilton has been working in, almost as a backup to Fenton, but can also go on the outside. So if one of these guys go down, or for example, uh, Ron, if the moment feels too big for Snead, you get to halftime, and uh, Snead is just getting burnt out there by Brandon Cooks or whoever it is that's, that's going right. after him, then maybe you go and say, all right, veteran, you've been in the league for five years. Let's see what you can do here. And he, at least he has the reps there. I thought it was really interesting. You're right that the chief said yesterday or Hamilton said yesterday that he's been getting 10 snaps. It seems like outside inside as a safety. That is as pretty much exactly what they wanted in Kendall Fuller. Yeah, exactly. And you lo you lost him, so who are you going to replace him with? I mean, if if they if that role is important on the defense, you don't really have a player, uh, you know, that, you know, maybe you want to fit Armani Watson into that role, um, but he, maybe he hasn't proven it yet. So, yeah, you have to have someone in that kind of role that, that Spags likes to use. I know if Juan Thornhill doesn't get hurt, maybe Kendall Fuller's role isn't as big last year. Uh, but, you know, going into this year, you know, that like you just said, that kind of, you know, that versatile backup where you can kind of back up each position, uh, it sounds like that's Hamilton. Well, we have to put this important caveat in here, and that is that Pete has been banging the Antonio Hamilton drum all off season. So let's I'm remember Mr. that. Yeah, I'm Mr. Hamilton. Put me on a, on a piece of money. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> <laughs> all right. He is Ron Kopp. You can catch his great work at arrowheadpride.com. Did a great job for us with a defensive versatility piece yesterday. Does a great job every day. So look for his stuff at arrowheadpride.com. Thanks for joining us, Ron. All right. Thank you. Coming up next on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, our first annual training camp awards. Stay with us. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Life moves pretty fast. Are you drinking water that can keep up? Smartwater Alkaline has everything you need to stay hydrated, no matter where your day takes you. Whether you're pitching a tent or your next big idea, Smartwater Alkaline can help you perform your best. It delivers a pure, crisp taste that makes it the perfect chaser after a big workout. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a smart water alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.
Back here on the Arrowhead Pride Editor Show, wrapping up our only edition of the week, Tuesday, September 1st edition. We are in September, which means we will get live football games this month. But before we close the book on training camp, it's time for our first annual Kansas City Chiefs Camp Awards. Here we go. John, I'll start with you here for greatest riser. Who was your greatest riser in Chiefs training camp? Well, I, I, you know, I'm tempted by uh, Tershawn Fortin's story. Uh, I'm tempted by Jody Fortin's, Fortin's story. But I'm going to have to go with Ben Neiman. Um, he's a guy that has basically been a special teams player and an occasional contributor in certain sub packages for the Chiefs defense. And he looks like he could be one of the starters at linebacker this year. And I think that's largely because, as Spagnolo talked about yesterday, in his eyes, he's become a really good communicator. And in the living, breathing defense I mentioned in the last segment, that's a big thing for Spagnolo. So I'm going to go with Neiman here as my, as my biggest riser of camp. Congratulations to Ben Neiman, who is a unanimous decision for greatest riser. I also had Ben Neiman down. And it is because, yes, he went from a, a dying linebacker to almost assured starter. I mean, I think this is who you get to see on opening night, getting the majority of the snaps with the defense uh, on the field, starting defense on the field. And, and this is a four-core special teamer who showcased the fact that he has a really good mental acuity and has made his way to the starting lineup. That is respected uh, among the Chiefs, I, I think, on both sides of the football. It's just an ability to understand plays because it seems like Andy Reid's system is among the most difficult to get down in the league. It seems like Spagnolo's is among the most exotic. Antonio Hamilton said that that this defense, no offense to the New York Giants, but this defense is just another animal. He noted that yesterday. Ben Neiman seems to have an understanding of it in his third year. And this is another undrafted guy. Kind of that Dan Sorensen story. So the greatest right. riser award goes to Ben Neiman. Unanimous decision. Congratulations, Ben. Greatest faller. This is on the other side of it. And, and man, this is grim. Who is your greatest faller at Chiefs training camp? Um, I had to think about this one for a while. We don't get as much information this year as we would like to have. But just from what we know, I would have to name Armani Watts. Mm. Uh, this is a player who uh, That's a good one. Who had a lot of potential coming in, um, had an unfortunate injury one season, and he's just never really been able to get back into form and uh, be a real contributor on the team. And, you know, we're looking at a team that has signed two safeties off the free agent market in the last few weeks, which right. is not a good sign for uh, one of your homegrown safeties that's been on the outside looking in for a while. Might be time for the Chiefs to cut losses with Romani Watson if he doesn't, I guess, prove himself to be capable of being on the 53-man roster. I, I could see that happening with Breland Speaks, but my greatest follower is not either Speaks or Watts. It is DeAndre Washington, who came to the Chiefs, hmm. and he should have... Instead of calling Patrick Mahomes, should have called Gary Dieter because friendship with Mahomes <laughs> is not enough to get you a starting position. DeAndre Washington had one of his 
greatest football years really of his life as as a a college player at Texas Tech. Um, but the Chiefs go and draft uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. You would you would have thought, and I thought, and I'll be first to say, I thought the opt out of Damian Williams meant that DeAndre was in prime position to get the backup job. But yep. it seems that that has gone to Daryl Williams, and I don't even know if he beats out Darwin Thompson, who seems to be a man on a mission for the RB three position. So you have DeAndre Washington, who now to me went from an RB2 ceiling that I felt good about to maybe that Carlos Hyde position where you get moved for a sixth rounder, a seventh rounder, or a position of need at the end of camp. We know that Brett Beach likes to trade folks at the end of camp. I don't know if Washington is a chief on Monday, so it remains to be seen on him. All right, from Grim News, we go to the offensive MVP. John, who you got? Um, well, of course, it's Patrick Mahomes. Mm. Of course, it's Patrick Mahomes, but I'm going to say no on Patrick, not because I, I don't right. feel... It's so boring. It's value. just boring now. It's very it's boring. It's just boring to say Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. So I'm going to have to go with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Um, you know, this is a guy who is a rookie. We don't know if he's going to play out in the NFL like we think he will, but everything about him in training camp, every mention of him has been super spectacularly good. And uh, so I think he's the guy the Chiefs are planning to use and use a lot, and they expect him to do well. So that's where I'm going with my offensive MVP. For the second time in our first annual Kansas City Chiefs Camp Awards, we have a unanimous decision. And listen, it's not from anything that I saw. I mean, I, I got to see what every fan saw, right? We saw the videos coming out on social media. But Peter Schrager talks to the front office. Lewis Riddick is a former colleague of Brett Veach's Philadelphia. He talks to the front office. Peter King watched two practices, and he actually gets to write reports because he's Peter King unlike right. the local reporters, and he yeah. couldn't stop raving about him. Give me Clyde Edwards-Alaire. We know Mahomes is good. It, it is obvious. It was boring to me to give it to Mahomes as well, so I'll go with Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And worth noting here that he is behind Joe Burrow in the odds. He's the number two guy for Offensive Rookie of mm-hmm. the Year, but he's getting the most bets because when you're number two, your value is better for bets, so you can try to beat out another... I, I think his ceiling, I've said it before, is a baby Christian McCaffrey. If he gets anywhere close to that, he will be the offensive uh, rookie of the year. No doubt about that. Maybe even the offensive player of the year if you're having a year like that. All right. Defensive MVP, John. Who you got? Uh, it's got to be Tyron Matthew. Man, um, we are just... I, I'm, not, I'm a little spoiler alert. I, that's who I have as well. Go ahead. You can go ahead, though. Yeah. I mean, and, and Ron talked about it uh, in, in our last segment. Um, how versatile he is, what a great player he is, even in all these positions that he plays. He's at an elite level. But to me, more importantly, on this particular team, it's about what he does off the field. Um, You know, every player on the team talks about getting advice from Tyron Matthew, you know, even guys on the offense. And in a year where team leadership is perhaps more important than it is in any other year because the players have had to uh, be disciplined about going home at night during training camp and trying to keep the COVID infections down. A player like that is incredibly valuable. So to me, it's, it's not even, I didn't have to think about it. It's Tyron Matthew. Yeah, I just look at the Chiefs roster, and I think their defense is is pretty good right now. But Tyron Matthew, as Ron had noted on the last segment, he's on the line. He's playing in the middle third. He's playing as an outside cornerback. He's playing as a slot cornerback. And I just look at the members of the team, 
And okay, like you have Chris Jones and you have Frank Clark. If you put Tyron Matthew next to any other of the positions, is he a better player than you at your position? And I just, I, it's amazing to say, but I just think he would be better at your position than you would be other than Chris Jones and Frank Clark. I really like feel that way, which is, it sounds insane to say, but I just think he's that talented. And I really think that he uh, continues to prove based upon everything you're hearing that this year, and I think he's in prime position to maybe be the defensive player of the year this year. That second half of last year, if he can do that for two halves, which will equal one hole, I think you're looking at uh, a defensive player of the year. Yeah, I, I, I think that's fair. All right. Our final training camp award. Man, it went by so fast. You you start the award ceremony, you think this night is going to last forever. But we have our Dark Horse Award, John. Who's your Dark Horse? Taco Charlton. Wow. For some of the reasons that I mentioned when it is, You know, it is Taco Tuesday. Yeah. Well, and I think that the reason why I feel this way is because he is ideally positioned to be more successful than he's been anyplace else. Former first-round pick, clearly a talented guy, and at moments has flashed some ability to be a really good pass rusher, a really good guy on the defensive line. Uh, But he's had the misfortune on these other teams where he's played to be behind top-flight elite players on the roster. And with the Chiefs, where he will have the opportunity to get snaps not only as a reserve, replacing you know, players like uh, Tano Passignon and Frank Clark at defensive end. He's also a guy that Spags can plug in uh, in a pass rushing situation and come in as an interior rusher alongside Frank Clark. So I think he's going to get more opportunities to put some numbers up and turn some heads. And that's why I picked him as a dark horse on this particular team. You did a nice job foreshadowing it and you didn't even know it. Uh, last segment. And my dark horse, of course, is Antonio Hamilton. And I want to make this very clear. I am not rooting against Legarius Sneed, the fourth rounder. I'm not. I think the moment's going to be too big for him. I think by the end of the game, Antonio Hamilton on Thursday Night Football is playing cornerback and he gets most of the snaps in the second half. I think Legarius Sneed will get an opportunity. I think this is just going to be too big for him. Small school guy. Hamilton's going to come in sure up the position and never look back until week five, until week five, when Bashad Breland is back and the Chiefs are going to have to figure out what to do. You would think that Breland would be better than Hamilton. Hamilton has never gotten an opportunity. He got an opportunity at the end of last year with the New York Giants. Go back and watch that game. Four passes defense, did a great job. The commentators noted it. I tried to note this during the offseason. I just think he needs an opportunity. It'll be interesting, though, because Dave Tobe really likes him as a gunner, so if he does stand out on defense, is he your gunner? Luckily, the Chiefs are deep at gunner with Demarcus Robinson and Byron Pringle, who are locks to make this team. But, wow, Uh, I I just really like Hamilton, the player. I hope I I don't get people on me because, oh, he's a New York Giant, not the reason. I just think that he has this (laughs) untapped potential to really be a, a good player for this Kansas City Chiefs team and really maybe even better than than Fuller was despite him getting a huge contract with the Washington football team well that's that's the ticket beat never give up never give up that's right how inspirational <laughs> would that be remember Hamilton took less money to be with the Kansas City Chiefs sure and, and good on him because he's getting an opportunity here all right that is it for the editor show I think we, that was a pretty good show uh, ending with our training camp awards we will be back I believe next Tuesday. So we will have a show with you. Our lab guys, they will do 
I believe, the game preview podcast on that Wednesday. But we'll be back for one more show uh, before what will be game one. So we'll have some of our preview items. We're excited for that show. I'll be on Six Cent Sports Radio on Thursday. So no editor's show here. But keep it locked in. Arrowheadpride.com, Arrowhead Pride Podcast channel. We'll continue to put from the podium going over all the press conferences. You can get at John at Arrowheadphones on Twitter. I'm at PG Sween. Of course, at Arrowhead Pride is for all your Chiefs updates. We thank you today for joining us on the Arrowhead Pride Editor's Show. Support for this podcast comes from Smartwater. Want to get a little more from every sip? Smartwater Alkaline doesn't just taste crisp and pure. It's loaded with everything you need to perform at your best, whether you're running marathons or boardroom meetings. Elevate how you hydrate and pick up a Smartwater Alkaline today. To learn more, visit drinksmartwater.com.